Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Hello there, listeners. This is Mandela coming to you live from a garden in Sacramento, California. And this evening, the trail less traveled uh, leads to this part of the world because uh, that's what it took for me to track down this anthropologist, archaeologist, who's always on the move. Her name is Dr. Jamie Bach, and she has been featured on the trail less traveled for about 10 years on and off. First interviewed her probably 12 years ago. Jamie graduated in 2017 from the University of Montana with a doctorate in anthropology. She spent all of 2005 and 2006 doing Peace Corps in Kirbis, which is where the equator and the dateline meet. Since 2006, she has returned multiple times, conducting research and visiting her family on the islands, studying the locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change has been one of Dr. Bach's focuses. But this evening, we're going to be talking to her about her involvement with the testing of the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart's landing on the island of Nika Maroro, finally known as the island of Niku, when Amelia Earhart went missing in 1937. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me this evening on the Trail Less Traveled to talk about Amelia Earhart and what you're up to these days. Konamaori Mandela and listeners, thanks for having me again. I'm happy that we could be in the same part of the universe at the same time. It's quite the treat for me. Now, Jamie, for those listening who haven't heard any of your other interviews, can you tell us a little bit about your background in anthropology? I started anthropology as an undergrad in San Diego. I grew up in Southern California and was introduced to anthro in college and realized that under the guise of anthropology I could pursue any interests that I had in life. You can, you know, I could study whatever I want as long as I frame it properly. Anthropology was a way for me to to pursue as many interests as I could in life. And after school, I, I worked for a couple of years and thought there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought either I'm going into grad school or I'm going to go abroad. And as an anthropologist, I didn't really know how to up and move myself to another country. So I figured the Peace Corps would hold my hand through that. And I applied to the Peace Corps and asked for the most traditional remote base to be serving in and so they sent me out to the country of Kiribati where I was on an outer island for two years and I lived in a stick hut with no electricity and no running water and pretty much no contact with the outside world. I was the only white girl with all the natives, uh, learned to speak the language and, and live within their cultural norms for two years and used that as a foundation for graduate school where when I came back I said no more beach 
no more palm trees, no more coconuts, please. So I did a 180 and went to Montana to ride horses in the backcountry mountains and pursue graduate school at the University of Montana in Missoula. I completed my master's degree there, focused on the cultural heritage and national identity of the people of Kiribati. And then I also completed my doctorate program looking at, as you mentioned, local perceptions and reactions to environmental change on those outer islands in Kiribati using traditional ecological knowledge as the baseline for assessing that change and how it was affecting their lives and what they're doing in response to those changes. So over that time since I've been in the Peace Corps, I've returned multiple times, both as just a visitor and as a researcher. And that interest in the islands had led me to become involved with TIGER, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, um, the organization that is leading one of the pursuits to answer the mystery of what happened to Amelia Earhart. And their hypothesis focuses on that she landed on that island in the Phoenix Islands, previously known as Gardner Island, now known as Nicomaroro, which is within the country of Kiribati. So the islands of Kiribati are on the equator in the Dateline in the Central Pacific. So kind of southwest of Hawaii, north of Fiji, directly east from Papua New Guinea and Southeast Asia along the equator. So if you draw a big X across the Pacific Ocean, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle. Of course, if you're looking at the map, you might not even see it. The islands are so little. It's comprised of 33 islands three island chains, one in the west, one in the middle, and one along the eastern. And that ocean area is about the size of the continental U.S. So if you took a small city in the U.S. and chopped it up into 33 pieces and flung it across the United States, that's pretty much the consistency of the country of Kiribati. That's the voice of Dr. Jamie Lynn Bach, who graduated from the University of Montana with a PhD in anthropology in 2017. Between 2005 and 2006, she spent two years in Kiribati, which is an island nation located on the equator and the dateline, made up of 33 islands. Jamie has returned multiple times conducting research and visiting her family on the islands. She was studying the locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change. But in recent time. Jamie's focus has been testing the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart landing on the island of Nika Maroro when she went missing in 1937. This is The Trail Less Traveled. Now, Jamie, who was Amelia Earhart? Amelia Earhart was the first female to fly across the Atlantic. This is true. But her first trip was actually as a passenger. So she sat in the plane and someone else flew, but she wasn't happy. She wasn't content with that. So she went on later to be the first female to fly across the Atlantic on her own as a female pilot. She's more well known for her attempt to be the first person, male or female, to fly around 
the world. And that's what led to her disappearance as of her 1937 world flight, where she took off from Miami and followed a route closest to the equator and made it almost all the way around until she left Ley, New Guinea and was traveling east. She was supposed to land on Howland Island, pretty close to the equator in the dateline, and she never arrived. On July 2nd, 1937, they were waiting for her to arrive on Howland, and they could hear her broadcasting from her plane, and they would return radio signal to her, but she never signaled back that she ever received radio contact from them. So the awaiting ship, the Atasca, that was sitting off Howland to guide her in and receive her in Howland, they never heard her respond back that she had received their signal. And just about when she should have been, you know, flying into sight, they started receiving notice from her that said, that she should have been on them. She was sending them notice, and but that she couldn't see them, that she should be in the area. And then she said, I'm flying on this line of position. And that was the last broadcast that they had got from her. And after that, she never arrived on Howland. And they sent out search in the area around that island and around islands to the north and south and and they sent out word to other ships around in the Pacific and other islands and really, you know, did try to find her but they couldn't find her. They didn't see crash debris in the water. They sent planes and buzzed other islands and they, they couldn't find her and so she was presumed to be lost. So then... About 50 years later, TIGER, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, was approached with the idea that she may have landed on the island south of Howland. If you're just joining us, you're on The Trail Has Traveled. The trail has taken us to Sacramento, California, where I'm meeting with my good friend, an anthropologist and archaeologist by the name of Jamie Bach. She has a PhD in anthropology from the University of Montana, and recently she's been testing the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart landing on the island of Nika Maroro when she went missing in 1937. Jamie, it's now time for a song, and since this is segment one, oftentimes I ask for people to uh, share a song that reminds them of their early childhood. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about surfing when you grew up, and a song that reminds you of surfing California? Yeah, growing up in Southern California and North County, San Diego, I spent a lot of time at the beach and even had surf PE and so grew up in the waves, in the water most of the time. And that was part of what led me to be out in the Central Pacific was that when I joined the Peace Corps, they said, you know, how do you how do you let off steam if you're stressed or, or you're having a hard time? What do you do? I said, well, I like to go surfing or I like to go <laughs> swimming. And so they said, oh, OK. So an island environment was fitting for me. And I brought surfboards out there with me and had the waves all to myself. I brought two boards 
one for me and one for the horde of naked little children that were my constant companions. And so I would paddle around on one and have a floating horde of children on the other and uh, would push them into waves and such. But I guess the song that would remind me most of my childhood growing up in the ocean in California would have to be the Beach Boys Surfing USA because I've surfed almost all of the spots that they sing about. Whenever I hear that song, each lyric brings me back to that place and time of growing up and that being such an integral part of who I was in my early years. The Trail Less Travel podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing. Sewn with love and laughter, Karuna Clothing is a handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Designed simply and using the best fabrics, Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well-sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana... All of Karuna clothing is sewn and dyed in the U.S. and all workers are paid good living wages. www.karunaclothing.com That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com Good evening. If you're just joining us, this is The Trail Less Traveled. And The Trail leads today to... The outskirts of Sacramento, California. We're sitting in a beautiful garden with the anthropologist and archaeologist Jamie Bach. Dr. Bach graduated from the University of Montana in 2017 with a PhD in anthropology. Recently, she has been testing the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart landing on the island of Nika Mororo when she went missing in 1937. Jamie has a background researching and studying locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change in the island nation of Kiribati, where she did Peace Corps between 2005 and 2006. Dr. Bach, where we left off was this idea that Amelia Earhart potentially landed on the island of Niku Mororo. And I understand that this is difficult to piece together. You're researching, you're investigating. But can you tell us a little bit about what you learned Almost 50 years after Amelia's disappearance, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, TIGER, was approached with the idea that could be scientifically tested about whether or not Amelia Earhart landed on the island of Nikumaroro. So two gentlemen approached the group and said that According to the last officially accepted radio message, Amelia had broadcasted that she was flying on the line 157-337. And that's like a navigational term or technique that can be plotted. And according to these gentlemen, that line was perpendicular to their proposed flight to Howland Island, where they were expected to be landing. So that line of position is perpendicular to a proposed flight plan and runs through Howland Island and continues north and south at that degree of angle. If you follow it north, it's just open ocean. 
for thousands of miles. But if you follow it south, then it runs through the island chain and crosses over the island of Nikamororo, formerly known as Gardner Island, as it was as a British protectorate and colony. So Tiger said, well, this is an actual hypothesis that can be tested. So they started launching expeditions out to the island to see if we could find any evidence to support this hypothesis. For almost the past 30 years, Tiger has been pursuing this hypothesis with mixed results. There have been multiple expeditions out to the island, out to other surrounding islands and beyond in order to collect evidence and collect interviews and testimony and a growing body of evidence suggests that Amelia Earhart did in fact land on the island of Nikamororo in the Central Pacific. Now some of the evidence that has been collected and in no specific order <laughs> although the last officially accepted radio message was her announcing her on the line of position. There were multiple messages recorded by various sources for almost a week after her disappearance. And triangulation has been done on those messages, and most of them show that message coming from this region or area and cross in the area of this island of Nicomororo. And when we look at the time of when these messages were broadcasted, they correlate with the tidal flow on the island of Nicomoro. So when we review the time of these messages were broadcast, they correlate with the low tides that were on the island of Nicomoro. And so the idea was that Amelia may have had her ship, the uh, Lockheed Electra, her plane that she was flying, would have been on the reef and she would have needed to run the engine in order to generate the power to broadcast message. And so in order to do that, she would only have been able to do that during low tide. And these broadcast messages correlate with those low tides on the island for almost a week. And then we can see that it was a, during the time of a neap tide and the tide was getting higher each day. And so by the end of the week, the idea is that the tide was too high for her to run the engine or perhaps, and then we get into speculation, perhaps the high tide may have floated the plane off of the reef or something along those lines because it's very buoyant. So that's one piece of evidence that supports this hypothesis. These radio broadcasts that can't be accounted for, these post-loss signals that were sent, and so she would have had to have been on land, on dry land, in order to broadcast. So that's one. Another piece of evidence that we've collected is shortly after Amelia went missing, the British set up an attempt to colonize the island of then Gardner Island, now Nicomororo, and 
they resettled people from the Gilbert Island chain. They brought colonists over to Gardner Island, which was previously uninhabited. So they brought people to settle in that island. And as they were exploring the island and getting ready to bring over more people, a search party just exploring the island found a skeleton on the far side of the island. And they eventually let the resident commissioner know. And he collected it, sent it to Fiji. It was measured and recorded and subsequently lost. But the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, Tiger, found the file of the doctor's notes and measurements of this skeleton that had been found. And there was a description about where it was found on the island and some other items that were located near it. And when we re-evaluate the measurements taken by the doctor who recorded the skeleton, we've had a forensic anthropologist re-examine those measurements they seem to be consistent with Amelia Earhart. If you're just joining us, you are on the trail less traveled, and that is the voice of Dr. Jamie Bach. Jamie graduated from the University of Montana in 2017 with a PhD in anthropology. Between 2005 and 2006, she was on the island nation of Kiribati. The island in particular was the island of Tapatuea. In recent years, Jamie has been investigating some clues to the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. There have been lots of other artifacts that have been found on the island since then by tiger researchers, more than I can even describe within our given amount of time. But some of the ones that have received a lot of attention have been a shoe that could be the size and type that Amelia was known to have worn. There's been a sextant box that's consistent or similar to the type that her navigator, Fred Noonan, would have had. There's evidence of some type of castaway camp on the island in different areas. And in those camps, there's fire features and bird bones and turtle shells and bones and seashells such as clam shells that show evidence of human butchering and some of them such as the fish bones and the clam shells are inconsistent with Polynesian style of processing so the clam shells are opened in a different way than consistently seen within Polynesia and for example Within the bones, we see fish heads. We see that these fish heads have been discarded, whereas most Polynesians find fish heads to be a delicacy or a treat and are definitely utilized. So it suggests that the castaway was not a Polynesian seafarer who you know, was washed up on this island or came ashore, but that it was someone not familiar with that environment. Other artifacts that have been found have been different bottles that are 
consistent with the time that Amelia went missing, in particular a Benedictine bottle and a freckle cream jar. And we know that Amelia was concerned about her freckles being in the spotlight a lot, and that was something that's known that she was concerned with. And it's a little odd to be out on an island in the Pacific, some of these artifacts. We found a piece of metal that is consistent with a patch that was on her airplane. So this piece of metal that we have found is aircraft aluminum and has been analyzed and the rivet pattern matches that of what would have been the patch on her airplane and there's also a crease on the patch that's consistent with the bracing the interior structure of the airplane where if it was put on there the riveting is lined up then this crease in the middle of it is consistent with where it would be on the bracing on her plane a zipper pull that's consistent with that era and amelia was known to wear zippers on her clothes which was new during that time for zippers to be on women's clothing but she designed some of her own clothes and had her own clothing line and was known to put zippers on those clothes and then we get into the type of evidence beyond that of what we found on the island we have heard oral stories traditions from the people who lived on the island who were colonists on the island, in particular one woman who could tell us the story that there was an airplane wreck out on the reef and that there was an airplane door that they had played with. And so we have that type of anecdotal evidence. But there are challenges to testing this hypothesis because it's not as though this island has been left alone since 1937 when Amelia maybe landed there. There have been U.S. Coast Guards who were stationed on the southern portion of the island and who, during their time off, could wander around. There were the colonists who were there from 1939 to 1963, 64, somewhere in there, and New Zealanders who were there. So there are other people who have evidence of habitation and activity on the island. So discerning what are Amelia facts, as we call them, from the evidence or remnants of other people's lives on the island has been a challenge. That's the voice of Dr. Jamie Lindbach. Jamie graduated from the University of Montana with a degree in anthropology. She is an acting anthropologist and archaeologist based at the moment in Sacramento, California, but she is continuing to research and investigate some of the clues as to the disappearance of Amelia Earhart in 1937. When we return, we're going to find out more. But, Jamie, it's now time for a song. I was thinking it might be kind of fun to play a song that maybe Amelia would have heard when she first took off for that attempt for a around-the-world flight.
Good evening. If you're just joining us, the trail has traveled today is being recorded on location in Sacramento, California. This interview has been in the works for, I'd say, years at this point, and it's been hard to track down my guest. Her name is Dr. Jamie Bach. She is an anthropologist and archaeologist who graduated from the University of Montana with a PhD in anthropology and has spent many, many years in the island nation of Kirbis, starting in 2005 when she did two years there during Peace Corps. Now she's returned multiple times to conduct research and visit her family on the islands. Jamie has spent a lot of time studying locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change. I'd love to talk to you more about that, Jamie, but I'm wondering how you went from that to what you've been doing in recent years, which is testing the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart landing on the island nation of Niku Mauroro when she went missing in 1937. Well, after returning from two years in Kiribati on an outer island, I went to graduate school at University of Montana. And the very first day of class, we had to read a book called Places That Count by Dr. Tom King. And on the first page, he starts to describe where he grew up in the town of Petaluma in California and immediately piqued my interest because that's where my family's from. So I said, what? Petaluma? Oh, I love Petaluma. What? Who is this guy? And I continued reading and he says, oh, in the book, he references the work he's done in the Pacific Islands. What? I'm in Montana. I'm reading about this man who's from Petaluma and has worked in the Pacific. Like, I just came back from the Pacific, and I'm in the mountains where no one talks about the Pacific. So I was quite intrigued, and I looked him up, and I said, Who is this guy? And Dr. Tom King is an archaeologist, and I realized that looking into his experiences that he was working on the Amelia Earhart Project, which is in the country of Kiribati, where I just came from. So I started to follow him and follow along and learn about TIGER, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, all about their work on the Pacific island of Nikumaroro in the country of Kiribati. And I learned about their research looking for Amelia Earhart and the history of the island. And I became enamored with this project and followed along and I'd pay my dues and just learn about the research and Facebook friend Dr. Tom King and and following along and you know I'm just one of the random people on his page that follow him so they would advertise expeditions out to the islands but I mean to be a guest on the trip was quite expensive and I hadn't quite seen myself worthy of being on the research team. I wasn't that involved. And to pay your way was beyond what I could afford. And so one time I saw Tom posted something on Facebook that said, we're going to Nikumaroro. And here's a link to that trip. And I, you know, just kind of was glanced over it and made a comment and said, hey, you know, sounds exciting keep us updated and he said yeah sure and, I, and then I did a double take and I said wait what is this link and I clicked on it and it was they had partnered with a cruise ship company and tour group Betchert Expeditions 
to charter a mini cruise ship for like a hundred passengers. And they had chartered the ship and were sailing out of Fiji to Nikumaroro to conduct some research on the island. And I looked at the price tag and I said, I can actually afford this. And so I jumped on board and showed up, introduced myself, and everyone was shocked because here, out of the blue, comes someone who specializes in the culture of Kiribati and was quickly welcomed into the fold of the research team and participated on the 2015 Tiger and Betchert trip out to Nikamororo. I gave lectures on the ship, I provided tours on the island, I shared insights about the environment and the the culture of the people who lived there, and participated in the research being done on the island for then. Since then, 2015, I have continued to be engaged with the research and was also a participant of the 2017 Betchert Expedition and Tiger Research Expedition out to Nikamororo, where we were searching for more evidence to support this hypothesis that Amelia Earhart landed on the island of Nikamororo in the Central Pacific. In 2017, our research trip was joined by National Geographic where they sent their archaeologists in residence and two videographers and a writer out with us. And National Geographic sponsored the Institute for Canine Forensics to bring out four forensic canine teams of dogs and handlers to search for remains on the island. So forensic canines can detect human remains and so we were hoping that they could identify the area that the bones had been found you know many years before many decades before we brought them out there and I participated with that research project and others across the island and we're still working on processing the data that we brought back from that trip so stay tuned. And we're hoping to be returning out there again within a year or two. We have a few other projects that we're working on putting together. So the mystery continues. There seems to be a preponderance of evidence that suggests that Amelia Earhart did land on the island of Nikamororo and survive at least for a while before perhaps running out of water would have been her biggest challenge on the island for survival. And it's a low-lying atoll and has a shallow water table and irregular weather patterns in terms of rainfall. So that would have been her biggest challenge out there. But we're still working on putting this mystery to rest and honor her courageous spirit for attempting the daring feat of circumnavigating the globe in an airplane. If you're just joining us, the trail less traveled is being recorded on location in Sacramento, California. I'm here with anthropologist and archaeologist Dr. Jamie Bach. Now, Jamie, 
I would love to talk to you a little bit about your research returning to Kiribati on your own before you got involved with the Amelia Earhart Project, studying locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change. What were you studying? How were you conducting interviews with locals? For a child listening to the show who also wants to be an anthropologist like Dr. Jamie Bach or Dr. Jones... Give us an idea of what an anthropologist does. Well, as an anthropologist, I get to do almost whatever I want. I get to pursue lots of different interests. So anthropology has sub-disciplines of cultural or sociocultural anthropology. There's archaeology. There's physical or forensic anthropology and linguistics. So under those sub-disciplines, almost anything you're interested can be, you know, studied or called work <laughs> as an anthropologist. And so I never felt like I could narrow down my interests or desire for doing something for the rest of my life. And so I threw a really wide net in studying anthropology and like to pursue different interests in different ways. I have focused on Kiribati a lot in the past 10, 15 years. And most recently for my research on local perceptions and reactions to environmental change, looking at environmental change on the islands can be a challenge because we don't have records of measurements or data that shows very far into the past. So I had to figure out how to assess the change. And we have global measurements and trends that show change around the globe. But I wanted to know how that was manifesting on the local level and how it was affecting people living out on the islands of Kiribati. While I was out there in the Peace Corps for two years, I just listened and I said, what is it that people talk about and what's of importance to them? And most commonly expressed was the change that was occurring on the island. And these are islands that they've lived on for many generations, many centuries, maybe 2,000 years. And their family ancestors have worked the same plots of land throughout time. And the people who live there today learned how to manage that island environment from their elders. And it's passed down through each generation. So I asked them, what was it like when you were young? Or what was it like that you heard from your grandparents? What did they say it was like? And I used that as a starting point. And then I said, how is it now? What is it that you see now? And how has it changed? In order to see through their perception, using their traditional ecological knowledge of the land. And they identified change, change that I assumed they would see, such as erosion, and change in weather patterns, but they also identified changes that I wasn't expecting, such as deposition. So sure, the island washed away in this area, but the sand has been built up, and now we have new land in this other area of the island. And I asked them, how does that affect your life? How is it 
changing the way that you are experiencing life on the island. And most importantly for me was what are you doing in response? And these changes that are experienced, they report that the island environment is always changing. And so they're used to this flux. And they've developed over the centuries ways to address those changes and to adapt. And so I wanted to record those changes and those efforts or strategies to address change. My goal with that research was to identify those reactions, those strategies that they're putting in place and that can be encouraged or used in response to those changes instead of waiting for help from the outside foreign aid or you know outside ideas and strategies of what to do for these changes i figured they know what to do they have the resources and those are the knowledge and resources that are immediately implementable that they don't have to wait for someone else to come and help them or save them that they're capable of combating these changes on their own so I was using their traditional ecological knowledge to assess the changes that they see and to help identify strategies to combat those changes that can be implemented there on their island on their lands but also on other islands within the country of Kiribati and throughout the Pacific strategies that can help to reduce the vulnerability of people's living within environments that may be affected by environmental change. That's the voice of Dr. Jamie Bach. Dr. Bach is an anthropologist and archaeologist who is currently based in Sacramento, California, and has been spending the past 15 years researching in the South Pacific. Her most recent project has been investigating clues as to the disappearance of Amelia Earhart in 1937. She did Peace Corps on the island nation of Kiribati between 2005 and 2006. Jamie, Dr. Bach, once again, it's always an honor. It's always a pleasure to have you, I was about to say, in the studio, but here we are sitting in a beautiful garden after a lovely sunset, uh, drinking tea. So it's always a pleasure to speak with you on the trail less traveled. Thank you for your time and energy. Mandela, I'm honored that you came to be with me. And I'm happy to share my stories with you and the rest of our audience, this community, those of us traveling down that trail less traveled together. Thank you for guiding us and... We appreciate the stories that you bring. Thank you. Jamie, can you end the show with three bits of advice for the listener? Well, before I left for overseas, I taught myself to eat anything. So I would highly recommend teaching yourself to eat anything because you never know who's going to serve you what. I would also recommend keeping an open mind. And be ready for anything, because while you're out there, you never know what's going to happen. And most of all, invest in good gear. Jamie, it's time now for a song. What song 
would you like to end your show with? I think it's appropriate to end this show with a song from Kiribis. So Kiribis is known for their singing and dancing. And when I was out there, I was gifted a song that I'm the only one that dances this. I was trained with a little old lady who really made me suffer to learn their local dance of the Maie. And so my song is called O Sinamio. And the story of the song, it starts out with everyone being surprised. They go, oh my gosh, look at this. Something has washed ashore. Where did it come from? Did it come from the east? Did it come from the west? It came from far away. It's a branch. And although it came from far away, it's still a branch of our tree. And it's symbolic of them accepting me coming from far away and washing ashore on their island. And even though I came from far away, I'm still a part of their family, a branch off of their family tree. So I'd like to share with you the song Osinamio, sung by my friends and family on the island of Tabatawea in the country of Kiribati.
Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. You can subscribe to the free podcast wherever you gather podcasts, and consider visiting traillesstraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Dr. Jamie Bach. Jamie was based in the island nation of Kiribati between 2005 and 6 for Peace Corps and has returned many times conducting research and visiting her family on the islands. Dr. Bach graduated from the University of Montana with a PhD in anthropology in 2017. Recently, she has been studying the locals' perceptions and reactions to environmental change. Although in recent years, Jamie's focus has been testing the hypothesis of Amelia Earhart landing on the island of Niku Moroto when she went missing in 1937. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for this show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week, I'll be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the beautiful mountains of Missoula, Montana, or, most often, on location around the world, in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural environment. Tonight's episode was recorded on location in Northern California, where my guest was currently working as an anthropologist and archaeologist. My adventure tip this week is to consider rolling your clothes instead of folding your clothes when packing, you may find that you can fit a lot more in your suitcase. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar simply does not shred itself. <laughs>